Hello, hello. I'm here with Rachel Waddell and Matthias Bond, and they're going to talk to us about whether cash transfers can improve government spending. And I'm really looking forward to this talk because it seems super interesting. So I hope you're ready. And we're doing Q&A through Swapcard. So at any point, if you have a question, just ask it, and we're going to take them at the end. And they've also graciously offered to hold office hours in the discussion space after the talk. So if you want to talk to them more, and if you have any questions, then feel free to join them after the talk. I think it's going to be really cool. So without further ado, please come up and present yourselves, and we're looking forward to it. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for showing up on this Saturday afternoon. I hope you've all had some great fika and are ready for some hopefully interesting talk and conversation on the question, can cash transfers improve government aid spending? My name is Matthias Bond. I'm the director of the Center for Effective Aid Policy. Our mission is to make sure that development aid saves and improves the most lives possible. Here with me is Rachel Waddell, and Rachel, maybe you can introduce yourself too. Great, thank you. Um, hi all, some of you have um, heard me speak already today, so apologies, hopefully it's something new and not too repetitive. Uh, but I'm Rachel Waddell, I'm Director of Partnerships with Give Directly, which is an organization that's focused exclusively on the delivery of unconditional cash transfers. So very nice to be talking to you all. So before we begin, maybe we can, we can just uh, briefly introduce what we'll be talking about today. First, we'll try to figure out what does cash achieve? Should we be excited about it? We'll talk a bit about what governments are currently up to, whether it's maybe more effective or less effective than, than cash transfers. And finally, what it will require to, to get governments to uh, adopt some of these practices that we'll be discussing today. Governments spend $180 billion every year on development aid. This is one-fourth of, uh, of all charitable giving worldwide. And so what this money is spent on is incredibly important. The possibility to do good with this money is incredibly high, and so we should be very critical. We should think very carefully, make sure that we get the most value for the money we spend. And Rachel, take it away. Great. Thank you. Okay, so, so as the director uh, with Give Directly, focusing exclusively on cash transfers, you will not be surprised to hear that my answer to this question as to whether cash transfers can improve aid spending is a resounding yes. However, I am going to take some time to kind of outline why I believe that to be the case and why I think that cash transfers should form an increasingly significant percentage of government aid spend. And this argument is framed around evidence, efficiency, and empowerment. So the evidence. Most of you, I have no doubt, will be aware of at least some of this evidence around cash transfers. Cash transfers is the, the most, if not one of the most, um, studied development interventions that there are, over 300 studies. And these studies show time and time again that cash transfers have positive impacts across a whole host of outcome areas. So that's uh, improvements in nutrition, improvements in health, improvements in women's empowerment, psychological well-being, increased income, etc., etc. Um, and common fears about cash have been disproven also. Cash transfers, people don't waste them. People don't spend them on alcohol and tobacco. Pe they don't make people lazy. And these studies um, present a really, really robust evidence base as to why that's the case. 
What we are seeing also, however, is that the positive impacts of cash transfers are likely being underestimated through these studies. And this is based on two, two reasons. One, these studies are set up to measure impacts against a particular set of outcome areas. So, for example, a study is set up to measure the impact that cash transfers will have on employment, entrepreneurship, um, productive hours, these types of things, and they show positive results. But looking at other studies, what we can surmise or what we can uh, assume is that that same cash transfer is likely having additional impacts across other outcome areas. So it's likely to be improving psychological well-being at the same time. It's likely to be improving women's empowerment, financial inclusion, probably even nutrition and health outcomes as well. And secondly, we have been underestimating the impacts of cash transfers beyond that individual household level. So a study that um, was run fairly recently on one of GiveDirectly's programs in Kenya, it looked at the local economic impact of cash transfers. So we gave $1,000 cash transfers to 10,000 people in Kenya. And we looked at the impact that that had on the surrounding villages and those recipients that hadn't received the cash. And what we found is that $1,000 were translating into $2,500 of local economic impact. Perhaps no surprise because people are spending that money in their local communities and they're investing in their local communities. The second, the second case for cash is around efficiency. Again, many of you will know, know this and have seen this graph many, many times. Um, but cash is efficient. And this chart shows the annual efficiency rates for GiveDirectly. That is the percentage of every single dollar that goes into GiveDirectly that is delivered directly into the hands of intended recipients. And as you can see, this tracks consistently between 80, 90% mark. In 2021, we ended the year with a, an, an overall efficiency rate of 89%. And these numbers are really remarkable in particular when contrasted with those of other traditional interventions on which hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars have been spent over the years, often with limited or unproven impact. So take, for example, a program across seven countries uh, that gave cows to the ultra poor. So researchers found that one third of all of those recipients of cows sold the cows in order to get the cash to buy what they actually needed. And even worse, they found that the cost, the cost of sending those cows, so the overhead cost, was equivalent to the cost of the cow itself. And this also links to a critical point around scalability. So there, there are other highly impactful interventions um, on a smaller scale. A number of these find challenges when they look to take this to a much, much larger scale. Um, many projects work in a specific setting or they're centered around a particular charismatic, brilliant leader or a particular team. But when they try to, to um, take these to reach the hundreds of millions of people that are living in extreme poverty, then they come up with significant challenges. Um, COVID-19 to a large degree um, uh, sort of brought to the fore the case for cash uh, in a scale context. So almost every country around the world started a cash transfer program during COVID-19, showing this recognition that actually in those situations, cash transfers can meet the needs of a really, really broad and diverse population. Uh, and last but definitely not least is around empowerment. So cash respects individual choice. It empowers recipients to make their own decisions, to, make, to, to meet their own specific needs, and to respond to their own skills and their own motivations. And if we take a 
a step back here to the to the basics and think what what is it that government donors are trying to do they're looking for ways that they can help they're looking for ways that they can address extreme poverty or improve nutrition or improve health or improve education etc etc improve life expectancy however in this donor-recipient transaction, we really need to pause on who is deciding what is needed most. Who decides whether education, health, shelter, meet, meeting a, uh, an emergency need or responding to a shock is the most important priority and the most important outcome for that family. What we see through our programs in Give Directly is the real importance of this recipient choice. So this slide shows just some of the things that some of our recipients have been spending their cash transfer on. And this is, they are targeting the cash transfer to, to, to address those particular uh, challenges or blockers that are keeping them in persistent poverty, so that are keeping them in this poverty trap. And that can be very diverse. It could be uh, an illness or a health concern. It could be a lack of capital to start a business or to grow a business. It could be a lack of education for their children, etc., etc. And no other intervention is able to do this at the same scale as unconditional cash transfers. Despite this, case for cash, um, almost all of the aid funding currently internationally is not going to direct cash transfers. It's going to programs that is designed by donors on behalf of recipients, some of which are highly effective, highly impactful, and highly proven, a lot of which are not. These numbers, um, uh, I'll be honest, they're, dif they're difficult to get, which, which tells its own story. Just under 20% of humanitarian aid is going in cash transfers, but development spend is, is pretty poorly tracked. Our best estimate is this, that this is below 2% of over overseas development assistance. And this comes from some of the governments that we know have been kind of front runners on this, publishing that they are, um, they are spending um, less than 2% or about 2%. Let me hand over to Matthias to talk more on why this is the case, what governments can be doing um, to increase this. Yeah, so eight projects. You can, you can clap. <laughs> so eight projects. The general trend when we started analyzing government, different government aid spends is that they vary largely, not only in scope, but also quality. The case for cash is pretty solid, but what we as an organization were interested in to see, well, is the case for current aid projects maybe even better? Whereas in order to recommend cash, we need to know what are we comparing cash against. And development agencies have thousands of different projects. Some of these projects are bilateral projects where the development agency itself might try to implement projects in certain um, donor countries. It might be uh, multilaterally spent where the government facilitates aid projects through organizations such as the United Nations, the Global Fund, the Gavi Vaccine Alliance, other organizations as well. Um, and all of these projects are quite hard to map out. And so what is bound to happen is that some of these projects are going to be very effective and some of these projects are going to be less so. Moreover, governments spent aid budgets with many competing priorities. Governments in the ODA budgets want to further democracy. We want to ensure that women and girls have the same rights everywhere across the world. They want to ensure that everyone has the right to a good and, and long education. They want to ensure that uh, everybody grows up healthy and ideally happy as well. And so how should one balance these competing priorities? Within the effective altruism community, many different organizations have different answers to this. And what we see is that all different governments will also have different answers to what they think we should prioritize.
And so whether cash is a good spend or not a good spend, well, that comes down to these priority, uh, priorities. And so let's look at some of the, the projects that governments are currently spending money on to show you that actually there are quite a few things that we should be excited about. Much of aid spending is actually highly cost-effective. Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, a multilateral organization receiving billions of dollars of uh, official development assistance, are spending the money on life-saving vaccines that are incredibly cost-effective. They spend it on ensuring that developing nations also are pandemically prepared, something that many in this community also care quite a bit about. USAID's PEPFAR program, rolled out at the heights of the AIDS emergency, um, funded necessary HIV prevention and treatment, and it's estimated that it saved around 20 to 25 million lives since the rollout of this program, at the cost of some $100 billion. This is a cost-effectiveness naively calculated around gift world's very best charities, but at a scale far beyond what any gift world charity has been able to fund. The Global Fund, they spent the money on tuberculosis treatment and prevention, malaria treatment, mosquito nets, some of the things that GIF will recommend as well, HIV treatments. Many organizations are doing incredibly cost-effective work that save lives and they are funded through development aid. Generally, one has to remember that when GIFWELL, for example, recommend charities, the question they are asking is, what does the most good on the margin? i.e., where can a person who donates do the most good? Where can a single charity do the most good? But this is not necessarily the constraint that every government faces. Governments can do many more things that single charities can't. They can ask the question, how do we build an entire healthcare system in a country? How do we transform a country from being an autocracy to a democracy? And many of these things potentially can be more impactful than what GIFWELL can do. So there's room for optimism. There's room to think that maybe actually governments can, can hope to do better than, than what any individual can. And so as much as I love to say that some aid spending is very effective, unfortunately not all of it is. And so we saw one excellent case where maybe money spent on cars would have been better spent giving recipients money directly. We as an organization, we often try to talk to policymakers, make the convincing case that they should spend the aid well. And so we, of course, try to find and we cherry pick some of the very worst projects that we can find. We found bilateral money spent on a video game to offer civic education for Kenyan men and the video game reached hundreds of users. We found a program that supported volunteers sending Western young volunteers like uh, maybe myself when I was in university to do theater to teach Tanzanians about gender norms. And once again, I think maybe this is not the best audience to teach people on gender norms. So not, not many programs are incredibly effective, but many more programs are not quite so. And so there's large room for improvement. And so the question I believe that we should be asking is not only is cash better than, than government spending on average, but to ask how can we replace only the subpar programs, the programs that are less effective than cash. And our organizations and many other development economists, I hope, answer to this is with cash benchmarking. And so let me tell you a bit about what cash benchmarking is and why I'm so excited about it. Cash benchmarking, um, often people refer to a few different things as cash benchmarking. For example, whenever we do a randomized control trial and we add a cash arm where we can evaluate whether this intervention, for example, did more to put uh, education to, to children in a rural village, then we can add the cash arm to see, well, if we just get people cash, 
how many years of education does that buy? If it was more, then we can all of a sudden start doing the comparison. But cash, but cash benchmarking increasingly also, I think, is, is, is being referred to as a policy framework to evaluate projects more broadly. What I believe many agencies need is a way to benchmark projects against each other to make sure that there's a single bar that we evaluate all projects against. I think cash benchmarking, the thing that matters the most is actually the benchmarking. Why benchmark? Well, many different projects that aid, budget, uh, aid de development agencies do are evaluated to wildly different standards. So you might have one part of the agency in one region um, in sub-Saharan Africa believing that this many years of education for this much money is an excellent charity. Then you go a few, few kilometers south and all of a sudden standards are wildly different and projects are evaluated differently. It is incredibly important that we get a benchmark that we can start comparing many projects against. We need a benchmark that we can say, not only in education, but in health, in many other topics, all need to be able to be compared against each other. Otherwise, we can only say within some small region what is, what is best and, and what is worst here. Um, so we need a, a common hurdle rate. Generally, in development agencies as well, I think many people may be... Um, underrate the extent to which evidence is used. Increasingly, aid agencies are actually adopting evidence. Compared to 30 years ago, it's a wildly different climate, but in many ways, evidence is seen very binarily. Does the intervention work or does the intervention not work? Now, this is a great question because we, of course, don't want to spend our money on interventions that don't work. But I think even more important is to move from does it work to how well does it work. We want to not only fund interventions that work, we want to fund the interventions that work the very best. And so the question is, if we want a benchmark, what should this benchmark be? We could, we could have many different, you know, we could benchmark against bananas. But I believe that cash is a great benchmark to use. Why? Because the impact of cash transfers are well studied. Give directly on their website have a database of more than 400, I think, uh, cash transfer studies that show what does cash buy in this context, what does cash buy in education, what does cash buy in health. And when we have a, 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 a intervention that is so well studied, we can, we can generally have an easy time creating a benchmark that we can compare many different things to because we know what the, the intervention actually buys. Cash achieves a wide number of development objectives. So, so no matter what we're trying to compare in our, our, whether it's education or health, we can compare it against cash. And if we're lucky, there might already be a study actually showing what cash would have bought for that intervention specifically. It works well across a wide range of contexts. And so many and, and many development practitioners often find this, that they roll out some intervention. Maybe they do vaccines in some, uh, some state in India. Then they try to replicate the study in some other state where maybe the language is different, the culture is not quite the same, and all of a sudden it doesn't replicate. One of the great things about cash changes is that we've seen time and time again, actually, that cash seems to replicate very well when you give people who are on living on less than $2 a day, almost no matter where in the world they are, they see many of the same benefits. So lastly, we want a benchmark uh, to be measuring against an intervention that scales well. GiveWell's interventions, for example, they believe look more effective than cash transfers, but they can only absorb some half a billion dollars. Remember, aid agencies are spending billions of dollars every year. So we need, if we want a high benchmark, we need a benchmark that can absorb a lot of money that can still be effectively spent. And cash is one of the few interventions we know of where you can spend a lot of money and you can keep getting good benefits for it. Unfortunately, the devil is in the details. 
Um, cash is not just cash. Cash comes in many forms, and if we want to create a benchmark, we have to ask what should we benchmark against? Um, what exactly in cash should we benchmark against? For example, our cash transfer could be conditional. It could be unconditional. If it's conditional, then there's a big question of what are the conditions? Maybe we give the cash transfer as a lump sum. Maybe we give it as multiple reoccurring payments. Maybe we give it right before an emergency, in which case the impact will be different than if we give it as a long-term sustained development project. And so exactly which kind of cash transfer we should benchmark against is actually a really difficult question. For example, we know that if we want to improve educational uh, outcomes, sometimes doing the cash transfer conditionally can buy better education than if you do it unconditionally. In our cases, the reverse is true. So we don't want to have a benchmark benchmark against a single idea of cash, but rather benchmark against whatever the most effective cash transfer is in this field. And so what's needed in order to get cash transfers adopted, sorry, not only cash transfers, but cash benchmarking adopted in governments. Well, in many ways, there needs to be developed a framework that allows organizations to implement cash transfers. There's many questions in how we should develop this benchmark, how agencies should estimate their own impact of various projects, how that should be measured up against cash, which things can you actually measure. We know, for example, that uh, in global health, in things like vaccines, we have pretty good evidence on cash. Say that we want to build uh, a more democratic election system, or we want to build horizontal healthcare systems. We don't really know what, what cash actually achieves here. And so not all development interventions can necessarily be benchmarked all that well against cash. Somebody has to figure out what exactly, which parts of a development agency's aid budgets can reasonably be benchmarked against cash. There needs to be a comprehensive a comparison database developed where we can see, okay, in cash, this part of the world, when we want to improve education, here's what cash actually buys, so that we know what we should compare against and make sure we have a fair comparison. GiveWell's database, as far as I know, is actually one of the very best collections of evidence on cash benchmarking, but it's not something that a development practitioner can go in and figure out what should the, the relevant benchmark be for me, and so this has to be developed as well. So there's quite a lot of work to be done still. The good news is that there's political buy-in. USAID, the biggest development agency in the entire world, in their 2023 policy framework, stated that the new chief of, uh, chief of economies, uh, sorry, chief economist office, they will try to use tools such as cash benchmarking to make sure that they get the most bang for the buck in their development spending. And so the question is, if leaders are, are bought in, if leaders of these agencies believe we should be benchmarking, we should be having a high bar for our aid, what more needs to be done? How can we make sure that some of these developments happen sooner rather than later so that all development projects, aid, pro uh, aid development, uh, development departments do, are as cost-effective or at least as cost-effective as cash? And so I think the, the, the answer to, to the original question, can cash transfers improve government aid spending? The answer is a resounding yes. Not only is cash a way to tra scalably transform the lives of those who live in extreme poverty, but it's also a way to make sure that every single project an aid de uh, department carries out is at least as good as cash. And so cash is this excellent way not only to help people, but to make sure that we help people the most with the money we do spend. So the question then becomes, how, how can we get governments to, to adopt this? What are maybe some of the barriers? If leadership in certain agencies are already bought in, what really are the, the hold-ups? Why, why is this not happening already? Why couldn't we, we go do all of this tomorrow? Um, and so 
I think it's possible. I think we have to put in an effort. But in that case, we can get governments to adopt cash, not only as, as direct transfers, but as benchmark, benchmarks too. But um, Rachel, I know that you have, of course, talked to many policymakers, trying to make them yeah. see the, the benefits of cash. What are some of the, the maybe hurdles that you have faced? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so one of the first ones that's up here is that, that is the public perception. So we're talking to increasingly to governments who are well aware of this evidence around cash. They're very interested in the cash benchmarking idea. They're concerned, to be honest. We talk to people who feel disillusioned or a bit sort of depressed at the, at the current um, effectiveness of a number of their interventions. They want to do something more, and so they're looking into cash and cash benchmarking as a p potential solution for that. However, so often when we're having these conversations, this issue comes up about, well, what are the public going to think? What are the public going to think about uh, us giving uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in cash transfers elsewhere. There is still a sort of psychological, cultural block, I think, around handing out cash transfers. In the UK, there have been some, um, some time ago now, admittedly, but there have been some pretty negative media reports where the UK government had tried to do this previously. And so we know that that's front of mind for a number of governments. Now, this takes us to, to a sort of conversation around a broader public campaign. I mentioned covid earlier and the kind of uh, the prevalence of cash transfer programs within within COVID. And I think this has gone some way to shifting public attitudes, to kind of normalizing cash transfers as a way of helping significant numbers of people uh, in, in poverty or struggling uh, with shocks in a kind of social protection sense. But that's clearly one of the areas that we really need to, um, uh, as a sector, uh, do a lot of work on to kind of share the message around cash. Then... Um, uh, broad coordination is needed. Matthias spoke about um, buy-in at some of the highest political levels, including in USAID. We know that uh, the Norwegian government have spoken uh, openly and very progressively around uh, their thinking on whether a, a higher percentage of their aid spend could go towards cash transfers. So things are beginning to happen. However, we also know that this, there needs to be buy-in at all levels of government. So this needs to happen in the country offices who are allocating their bud budget spends at a, at, a, at a kind of program level right the way up to those who are leading departments um, um, across in, in headquarters. It's also worth sort of reflecting on the organizations that we're talking about a bit. And this isn't to say that governments can't adopt cash or can't adopt cash benchmarking, but I think we need to be realistic that this takes time. These are huge, huge government organizations that have been operating for decades and decades, and they're structured very much still around particular thematic areas or particular sectors. You'll have a department that's looking at nutrition and health, and you'll have a department that's focusing on gender. And trying to get these coordinated across governments is a really, really huge effort. And we see, that we see this time and time again that even that evidence that is increasingly well known takes substantial time to actually follow through into the kind of grant allocation program sign-off position because these things take an awful long time to, uh, to get through the systems. Just some of the thoughts on that. So fortunately, we believe that uh, progress is possible if we can coordinate all of these different actors. We can improve the quality of aid. So both Gift Directly and my organization are, of course, hiring. So if you're interested, come work for us. Let us spread the gospel at your aid agency. So, of course, we love to get these ideas out to people who are making decisions regarding how to spend aid. We love to talk to them as well. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. The goal of a conference like this is to have an impact as great as it is to talk and discuss what matters is action. Let's make sure that development agencies become as good as they possibly can be. And uh, hopefully in a few years when we look back, developments, development agencies everywhere are benchmarking against cash. They're giving cash. They're helping the poorest in the very best ways possible. Thank you very much.
I'm just gonna squeeze him right here next to of you. Of course. Uh, thank you so much for that talk. Mm. I think it was really, really inspiring and uh, like educational. And I feel like I learned a lot and I was really motivated by what you guys are doing. So thank you. Uh, so we have a few questions. Um, I think you talked a bit about how people should get involved. Um, and th there's a question about how uh, it's smart to involve oneself within cash transfers. Like, do you need a specific background or a specific skill set, or is anything fine? Um, yeah, I think I think on cash transfers, maybe you're the, the best suited person to ask. Interesting question. Maybe I should start by saying my background is um, I have a history degree, so that's you know not not relevant at all. Um, so so to start like that, I think uh, I mean give directly as an organisation. I think I'd encourage whoever sent in the question to go and have a look at the careers page and whatnot. It is a really, really diverse skill set that makes this that makes this happen. You know, give directly as an organization where uh, you know 1.5 million individuals reached with cash transfers, but that has required data scientists and engineers and but also fundraisers and partnerships people and stakeholders and communications folks. So so uh, I, I think all to say it, it's very, very broad and there is a space in that I think for uh, for a real variety of skill sets. So sort of encourage people to have a look and, and get on board where they can. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think um, I studied computer science many, many years ago. Not in my wildest fantasy that I expect that I would be trying to persuade policymakers into doing certain things with their development aid. It's very hard to predict where you'll end up. I think my skill set was absolutely not suited for this, but the, the, the thing is one has to see what are the big problems in the world? What are the things that you'd most like to improve? And then I think it's, it's actually possible to do quite a bit, no matter your background. Much more important when we, for example, look for volunteers in our organization, is a genuine interest in the problems. Genuinely caring about solving them can get you much, much further than an extra year of, of correct education. So if you are passionate about it, absolutely just uh, believe that you're capable of, of, of creating change because most likely by being at this conference, you are capable of creating that change. Mm. Thank you. Well. Another question, will cash transfers make the recipient dependent on cash transfer? Another one here. Um, so the evidence around this su suggests no. <laughs> I know it's, a, it's one of the common fears around cash transfers and the studies that are, have been done on you know, universal basic income pilots or, or, or lump sum cash transfers. And these studies show that uh, no, people don't work less. In fact, productive hours go up, people work more. Um, that it, it's one of the common fears that just, just isn't borne out in the evidence. Thank you. Uh, a benchmark is obviously useful, but won't you often have a situation where the intervention you're benchmarking against cash transfers, say improving political mm. institutions, is close to impossible to assess so that you don't have a clear figure to compare to cash transfers? Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point and basically true. I think um, in the long run, there probably are ways to, to benchmark and estimate everything. I think in many ways, the, the effective altruist motto is that, that we should try to, to quantify everything and, and act based on it. But in many ways, the goal right now should not be to, to measure everything against cash. It should be find the things that are most readily available to be benchmarked against cash. Start with that. And then I think there's a lot of very difficult work ahead, a lot of difficult RCTs to, to create that will allow us to maybe start benchmarking some of the, the more difficult cases. But absolutely, um, I would not start with, with these horizontal approaches with the democ. This is not something we really know what cash achieves in yet. Mm. How can cash transfer programs be adapted to better assess the unique needs of specific populations such as refugees and people mm. living in conflict zones? 
yeah, great question. Um, there's a lot of evidence on this actually already, but it's something that we're continually learning. So um, uh, refugee populations, this is an interesting one. We completed a study last year. We gave cash transfers to every refugee household in a settlement in Uganda, which was about 10,000 households, and we studied the impacts. And what we found from that is that actually, um, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the results that we saw in that context were actually broadly similar to the results that you would see in a non-refugee uh, context. However, the, there is a there is a very real um, there is a lot that we are learning about how cash transfers, how sizing, cadence, the mode of delivery. Um, Give directly focuses on on unconditionality, but but we do look at um, whether you uh, could add a nudge to a cash transfer or whether you could uh, time it. For example, uh, Matthias spoke about education earlier, but there's evidence to, to suggest that if you time those transfers with the um, school semesters, then you get better uh, education rates. So we are increasingly we are learning more and more about that um, all the time. There's quite a lot of evidence out there on how you. D design cash transfer programs for a particular outcome, but there's, there's certainly more we can do. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, in terms of what motivates governments to invest in aid for foreign countries, in what ways do cash transfers satisfy those aims? For example, how do cash transfers compare to aid that creates more constrained effects that directly benefit a country's agenda? Yeah, that's, that's I think one of the, the very hard-hitting questions that, that um, we, we, we maybe have to accept that, that the reasons that we very much care about development aid, the reason that, that um, we want cash transfers in many ways because that's what benefits recipients the most. Now, when governments give aid, not always is it spent with the recipient's best interest in heart, at heart. Um, and so I think oftentimes, in almost every circumstance, there are ways in which cash transfers happen to, for example, also achieve some of the objectives that the government are, are, are doing. And so in many ways, it's, it's about creative thinking to find the ways in which when we suggest this cash transfer program, how does it already help the, 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 the achieve the objectives that a government might have? And so, for example, when we go talk to a government that's um, trying to specifically help women and girls, well, of course, we will emphasize the ways in which, or I assume, cash helps women and girls especially. Right, and so oftentimes I think there's an overlap and it's about finding that overlap and emphasizing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the only thing I, I would add on that as well is that it becomes increasingly important um, in a context of, of, of generally uh, increasingly constrained resources. Some uh, overall ODA figures are going up, but if you take out um, spend on domestic refugee costs, then actually the, the remainder has, has generally gone down in, over, the, over the last year. So in, so in a scenario where there is l less money going to overseas development programs, there's even more of a kind of, uh, it, it's, it's even more critical to spend that in the most efficient and the most effective way that you, you possibly can. When you benchmark, for instance, education versus cash transfers, do you only consider the effects cash transfers have on education? So would you then undervalue cash transfers as they have other positive effects, or do you try to look at it more uh, wholly? Yeah, holistic. I think that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I think the, the, the answer to that is that most likely if you do the, the cash uh, benchmark in the, the naive way, you would underrate it. I think fortunately many projects are not quite at a level where even on a single metric, they can compete against cash. Mm. And so in the long run, should our benchmark take into account the fact that cash not only achieves the single objective our intervention might be, but also many other things? Absolutely. 
in the very beginning stages of getting this benchmark, we don't want to set a hurdle rate that's much too high, that will create much too, I think, chaos, much too much chaos, much too much uh, 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 conflict. We want a benchmark and a hurdle rate, I think, that is achievable, and then we can always make it, make it higher as we go along. Thanks for the question and the response. <laughs> yeah. Are there any ethical considerations or potential unintended consequences that should be taken into account when implementing cash transfer programs? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, for example, ra uh, Rachel, you pointed out on one of your slides that generally cash transfers, for example, one of the things they do very well is um, uh, achieve um, reductions in violence against women and girls. But, for example, if you do the conditional cash transfers, in certain settings we have found that um, for example, when cash transfers only are targeted towards women, sometimes we see an increase in, in violence against women and girls. And so the exact nature of the cash transfer, the context, all of this goes into what exactly the effects of cash transfers are. Generally, it's pretty robustly positive, but if you're not careful, there are ways to unintentionally cause harm. One of the things I think if directly is looking into is how can we scale up these cash transfers? When we give billions of dollars in a country, how will that influence the economy as a whole? All of these are actually unanswered questions, and so it's very important to, to um, I think, research this a bit more and find out, make sure any time we do give tax chance, cash transfers, it actually achieves the aims of helping people the most. I hope this is something you agree with. I absolutely agree. Absolutely Great. agree. Yeah. And it's, and it's also both on a kind of um, an individual level. So there's a, a, a real-time monitoring of each of the cash transfers that you are giving and checking, like, has this caused any tension within the community or has there been any theft or bribery or domestic violence attached to that cash transfer? And so we as an organization follow up with every everyone that receives it to, to try and mitigate some of those kind of immediate unintended consequences. But also, yeah, while, while there is um, evidence that in fact suggests that there are positive spillovers and positive sort of unintended consequences of cash transfers we do need to be very very live um, to con to uh, continuing to monitor that that's the case for sure in particular as we I don't know uh, yes yeah, somewhere somewhere in the last talk that I did but if you were going to scale cash transfers to an entire region or an entire country you need to monitor that really closely <laughs> Many countries set a target for aid, aid spending as a percentage of their GDP. Yeah. This can create an incentive to spend aid money regardless of effectiveness before the fiscal year ends in order to reach the target. Could cash transfers solve this problem by implementing a policy that unspent aid money should go towards cash transfers? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I, I will say, um, yeah, so, so most countries have, have uh, for example, agreed that they will spend 0.7% of their, their gross national income, actually not GDP, um, on development aid. I will say right now, in the current climate, uh, development agencies are not exactly uh, sitting on a, a large pile of money that they don't know what to do with. The United Kingdom a few years ago cut from 0.7 to 0.5. Sweden, the country we're currently in as of this conference, is also a country that has recently cut their development aid budget. Many countries have decided to spend development aid to uh, house Ukrainian refugees. Now, in my opinion, should we help Ukrainian refugees? Absolutely. Should it be at the expense of the very poorest, maybe, uh, sub-Saharan Africans? I think that's debatable. So right now, many development agencies across the world are facing quite a, a, a strain on their, their budgets. And so I think this is an excellent question. I think the day where we are starting to see that development agencies are, are maybe having more money than they know what to do. This is an excellent solution. This is not, I think, the current climate that we are, we are, we are, we are in. Okay. Um, 
So I guess you talked a bit about this towards the end of your presentation, but I was really wondering um, how, like if you could talk a bit more about how perceptions of cash transfer programs have changed over time, mm -hmm. both in terms of governments and also the general public. Yeah, I, I mean, time will time will tell, I suppose, and everything that I can say on this is is fairly anecdotal. But from um, um, from the conversations that we are having and have been having uh, with governments, cash transfers, the evidence base for cash transfers is is largely, I think, accepted and understood amongst governments. Not always. We still talk to some governments that that you know are completely opposed to the idea and, and have next to no cash transfers within their portfolios for sure but generally we're speaking to people who who um who are aware of it but they're also painfully aware of the kind of challenges and blockers and i, I suppose not sufficiently convinced to be shifting substantial chunks of their current spending across to cash in terms of public perceptions i think this is it's hard to gauge um um, anecdotally, again, from talking to those governments, it's certainly something that people are concerned about. Now, my hypothesis is that COVID has to some degree normalized this and brought it onto the public agenda. We're seeing um, GiveDirectly um, is now delivering huge cash transfer programs within the US, which just wasn't something that, that we were doing before. And, and part of the... Um, uh, part of the reason this has been really beneficial is that it has given us this big media profile. Cash is now in the news fairly frequently in the U.S., and it's you know it's bringing things out into public debate. So I I I think I believe that that will be translating into a shift in public attitudes. However, in absence of some sort of survey, I, I, you know I don't know, but I think that the the um, the trend is going in a direction of of greater understanding and greater acceptability. Yeah, I mean. I think this has been an absolutely wonderful talk. I remember I was sitting in the audience and I had these questions and then you guys just answered them. So it was like, it was really cool to see how well prepared you were and like you were anticipating the questions even before <laughs> I was thinking about them. So I think this has helped me understand a lot about cash transfers and give directly as well as your work. And I'm assuming that it's the same for you guys. So I just want to give a last huge applause to them. I think it's amazing that you're coming here and talking to us. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very happy to let you know that I put to, we put together this presentation days in advance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so again, office hours are going to be hosted in the discussion spaces in roughly 14 minutes. So, I mean, just I'm assuming you guys are open to, to discuss with uh, attendees if mm. they have any specific questions. Sure. And if you have any questions you don't want to answer, ask now, but later, I'm guessing you can just message them through, through Swapcard. Sure. But I haven't checked with them, so so don't take my word for it. Sure. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to the office hours. I think that's going to be great. Thank okay. you. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.